0: all right everybody welcome back to the dirt to dollars podcast where we teach you how to turn raw land into profitable ventures i'm your host cory hayden I've got co-host jack carger out here with me and today's episode we will be covering infill lots versus recreational undeveloped land jack how's it going man oh man it's great cory how about you brother can't complain can't complain uh let's talk a little bit about kind of i mean it's friday so let's talk about this past week, you know, in our own, our own land business, let's start giving people, you know, kind of the ups and the downs and the ebbs and the flows of everything going on in our business, I guess, specifically, you know, let's talk about a little bit what you got. Yeah, going man. On. Yeah, it was a good week, brother.
1: Uh, hold some good lead lists. A um, couple new markets that we're looking at uh, hitting and it'll actually, uh, you know, work out really well for this episode because some of those markets are going to be bigger rural recreational type land that we're going after um had some good conversations with my you know team members about uh you know our path forward and and some kind of strategy change-ups that we're gonna implement um got a uh got paid on two deals so those came through um let's see uh it doesn't get much better than that doesn't get much better than that. Made an acquisition this week as well. Um, it was a, it's a lot up in Colorado that um, I'm hoping to get on market within the next week or so. Uh, it should be closing very early next week. Um, and yeah, man, it, it was a good
0: week overall. Overall, I can't complain. How about you, brother? Solid, solid. Yeah, man. I got, uh, man. This last week, I've been doing a lot more outside of my business than inside my business. Baby stuff, um, all kinds <laughs> of stuff, really. But I did get a new mailer out, which was good. Uh, for those of you who don't know, if uh, you don't follow me on Instagram, I did post on my my Instagram about how I botched a whole mailer, and I took, <laughs> um, man, that that could probably be an episode in itself. But uh, I essentially took my mailing list, and when I uploaded it, and I, I set the format um, to mail out my postcards, I put the wrong mailing city in all of my mailing addresses. So out of twenty five hundred postcards, I think only four or five hundred made it to sellers. And oh. um the rest of them are sitting on my uh my floor right behind <laughs> me. So um probably about a thousand dollars lost in mail. Yep. Um yep. down the drain. Man, hey, it'll it'll happen, man. Yeah, and, You know, my, my
1: actually curious on that, man, like just for the audience, like, well, first of all, a statement and then a question I want to ask you statement. Shit happens. A hundred percent. You're going to, you're things are going to get screwed up. Sometimes you're, you're going to have some money wasted. It's what it is. It's business. And honestly, it's life at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, but question ago. to you. Okay, oh, I go agree. ahead.
0: Nope. I was just going to say three years ago, that mistake would have killed me. I mean, it would have demoralized right. me. I would have right. been like, damn, I just lost, you know, over a thousand dollars. You know, now what? And it, you know, I had a moment where I was like, oh, this is kind of, kind of shitty. And then I was yep. like, oh, I got to move on. I mean, what are you going to do?
1: I've had plenty of those as well, man. And it's less about the obstacle in and of itself and more about how you deal with that obstacle. Like, are you the type of guy or gal that's just going to fold over something like that? I mean, it sucks to lose a thousand bucks. Like nobody wants to do that. It's no fun. But how are you going to bounce back? That's what matters. And at the end of the day, um, if you can kind of, you know, get yourself together, put that mindset back in in frame of like, hey, this happens. I got to just move on then you can make it happen, man. Um, so question to you on that, like, what did you do about it? You know, did, did you, obviously you probably sulked for about five minutes, but a guy like you, I know you bounced back quick and are you going to mail those mailers out again or are you just kind of going to let them go to a, the, the wayside?
0: No, so I called the company, you know, click to mail just to try to really dial in what exactly went wrong because I wanted to make sure, I guess uncover if it was truly my fault or if it was their fault. Um, right. After about 20 minutes on the phone, you know, it was pretty clear that it was my fault. I just formatted the postcard wrong. And like I said, I put the wrong city in the mailing address. Um, so they gave me a $150 credit, by the way. Thanks. Um, nice, dude. I, you that's, know, I, I can't complain. Good, again, it's my fault. So I can't yep. expect too much. Um, but then it was a decision on, well, do I want to remail this list? And spend mm-hmm. another 1900 bucks on this mailer. Do Go want a cold call it. What do I want to do? Um, so I kind of said hell with it after about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes of contemplating. And then uh, I pulled another 2,500 leads, new areas, uh, you name it. And then I just combined the two together, double, triple, quadruple, check the addresses, and then sent out 5,200 postcards, including the one that I previously messed up. So now all these people should be getting a postcard from me.
1: There you go, bro, and you're gonna go get a a five figure deal out of it. So that thousand bucks is gonna be made back anyways, man.
0: Yeah, uh, well, Gotta that's the it. plan. Um, off yep. of that mailer though, I will say I did lock up a a deal. Um, and I won't dive too. It's it's a a low end deal. You know, buy it for eight hundred. It's worth five thousand. Um, but man, those deals. I'll just say that touch on that real quick. Those deals are an endless supply. Those deals are out there, mm-hmm. night and day. There's a million of them. Uh, so I got one of those. And actually I just had a lead come in yesterday and I'll make this one quick too. a guy wants to deed me or he's willing to deed me, uh, the land. If I just help him move his shed off of it.
2: Hey,
1: we'll take that all day, man. There's so many junk haulers. Like frankly, I actually had a similar thing go down with a lot, um, up in, uh, the Buena Vista Colorado area that I'm actually going to have sold next week. I should get that wire next week. You know about that one. Um, really funny anecdote actually it has a shed on it it has a carport and like a wooden deck it's a really small lot in this uh basically like campsite slash like mobile home slash like trailer community right on the arkansas river off highway 285 up there and uh they're you know the old owner just left everything they had in their shed and uh my buddy colton and i went up there just to kind of clean it off take some drone photos and that kind of thing and we found you remember this because i called you uh that day to tell you the story we found an old vespa in there like a a little motorbike and i was like oh that that's cool and read through all the paperwork made sure i was good to go it is actually mine to take in my possession um so got that done but Back to the original point, there's so many junk haulers that'll literally move that stuff for free if you just give them the rights to the possession of it, you know? So yeah. you can get some of that stuff done without even having to pay anything out of pocket. So it sounds like a deal like that, you might just have to pay closing costs and that that piece of land is yours.
0: Well, so that's the thing, not even bro, what he wants or he's trying to accomplish is because the shed apparently is pretty nice. It's like a 13 by 36 shed. He was mm-hmm. going to use the property as like a fishing property. Just go there, park some stuff on to go fishing because the uh, the Trinity River is nearby. The lot's only worth five to eight grand, right? But he wants me to essentially pay for the shed removal, and then he'll deed me the property. So I said if you can get me a quote for a thousand bucks or less, I'll move your shed, you deed me the property. So at the end of the day, i' I'll, I'll most likely be getting this property for in the ballpark of a thousand bucks. And then I'm just going to turn right around and sell it for five to eight.
1: Nice, man. Nice. Well, not, I think that's a good move at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. Why not? Right. So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, mail. That's what I did this week. Sent out some mail. Got a few decent leads. Um, yeah. Let's talk about uh, infill lots versus recreational land. We were talking about this yesterday. I know I know people are going to have questions. Uh, that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest questions, actually, when people hit me up and they're, they're trying to get started. It's like, well, where do I mail? am I going after little small lots or do I target acreage? I mean, there's yep. obviously a lot to talk about on both ends of the spectrum. So we're going to cover infill lots versus recreational unrestricted land. Right. So what yep. is an infill lot? Jack, give us your definition on what an infill lot is.
1: Yeah. Infill lots are really simple. Um, and you guys, anybody listening to this podcast, you have probably seen an infill lot in person and you didn't even know it. Uh, Basically, when you're driving through a neighborhood and you see house, 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 and then an empty lot where clearly it's the same size as all of the other lots the houses are on, but there hasn't been anything built on it, that's an infill lot. They're standard, kind of cookie cutter, you know, usually like quarter to to half acre lots that are in you know subdivisions and platted out neighborhoods that just haven't been built on yet, right? So. A lot of times they have utilities ready to go, like, you know, either city or, or county water and sewer. Um, a lot of the times they, they have electric at the street already because they're in a, you know, pretty well-developed neighborhood. And, um, you know, they're, they're kind of chur- or turnkey is the, is the word I'm looking for. Uh, kind of turnkey lots that are, are ready to build on. Um, and there's not much that needs to be done to them whatsoever, if at all. um so that would be my definition do you have anything to add to it
0: no that's i mean you hit the nail on the head that's pretty much it um the only thing i might add is like well kind of like you were saying is they're they're turn and burn right they're ready to go um you said they haven't been built on yet sometimes there used to be houses on these lots but they burned Mm -hmm. down they flooded Mm -hmm. had to get torn down you name it so a lot of these lots also already have utilities water sewer electric they've got all that stuff already in place so if yep. a builder wanted to come in and put a house on that lot, all they got to do is get a survey, get plans, get them approved, you know, permits, that kind of stuff. They can yep. start the building process right there um, on that lot. Not a whole exactly. lot, man. super simple. So we'll jump right into recreational land. I threw in the word unrestricted um, just kind of as a uh, a descriptor uh, because infill lots, for instance, often are not unrestricted. They are very much so Restricted. And what I mean by restricted versus unrestricted is an infill lot might have deed restrictions, you know, yep. stuff outlined in the deed that says you can only build this type of house. It, can, yep. it has to be this big. The building mm-hmm. setback line is 25 feet from the, the street. Um, yep. You got to use these types of materials. It's got to look this way. There's all these restrictions that are in place and, and what you can do with that property versus what we call recreational land, um, unrestricted land. Yep. Um, the deed or even the County, uh, the, the governing agency has not placed any, uh, restrictions on this property. So essentially you've got this piece of land that you can do whatever you want with it. I mean, you could have cows on it. You could put a yep. mobile home on the front and a big house in the back. I mean, you could literally, it's a, it's an open, open can totally. do as you please with, um, you know, I could, of course, say a lot more, but I, there's no need to, to overcomplicate, you know, recreational undeveloped land or unrestricted land. is just that it's just land out. Usually it's outside of the city limits in the county mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. unincorporated areas of the county. Um, and, and again, you can just do whatever you want with it. So
1: exactly. And all I would add to that is like uh, to your point about the restrictions with infill lots, a lot of them are like in HOAs as well. Um, so those are factors that you have to take into account, HOA dues, you know, certain rules and regulations that they'll implement as well. Um, and you know, when it comes to, I want to be very clear, you know, with our definitions, when we're talking about this bigger acreage, as Corey put it, you know, recreational unrestricted, that kind of thing. Um, oftentimes they're a County or two removed from, you know, a big city, um, You know, so if you're familiar with like the layout of Colorado or, you know, even Houston, uh, you know, Texas, that kind of thing, we're talking a county or two removed from Denver, a county or two removed from Houston. Usually that equates to about an hour, two hour drive outside of the city. Um, And, you know, in terms of the size, we're talking about one acre or more and oftentimes bigger than that. Five, 10, 20, 50 acres, sometimes upwards of 100 or more. Right. Yeah. And. You know, not every piece of land is completely unrestricted. Sometimes there are rules like, you know, hey, you can't farm on this land, but you can do everything else. Or, or hey, you can't put a mobile home on this land, but you can do basically everything else. So, you know, there's ebb and flow to it. And, you know, every piece of land is unique. But at the end of the day, largely when we're talking about this bigger acreage, there's a wide net of what you can do with it. And that'll kind of get into our next point of like the differences between the two, the pros and cons, uh, which I think is what we're going to jump into next. So, Corey, let's talk about infill lots. Let's start there. And then towards the end of the episode, we'll we'll talk about that big rural, you know, more acreage, right? Yeah, so what do you think? let's let's talk about a couple of the pros of infill lots and specifically the pros, of investing in infill lots, flipping these lots, getting them off our hands—that kind of thing. So why don't why don't you start?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And really, that's all I've not all I've done for the last almost four years at this point. Um, but that's most of my business model. Just being in Houston. I mean, I live in the suburbs of Houston, but I started flipping land, you know, four years ago in the city of Houston. Um, and as you know, it's all—I mean, the city of Houston is densely populated. Um, a lot of houses, a lot of new construction going on. So I learned how to flip land with infill lots. Um, and kind of like we talked about before the, the pros of, you know, infill lots, especially if you're in a hot market like Houston. Um, and when I say a hot market, I just mean an area where people are moving to the city. There's a lot Mm -hmm. of new construction going on, a lot of job growth, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But the the pro, I guess, of of infill lots is that there's certainly no shortage of infill lots in the inner cities of major metropolitan uh, cities, Houston, Chicago, LA, you know, I could probably name 10 cities, but um, it's easier, in my opinion, to get started. I'm not even going to say that. I want to backtrack. I don't want to say it's easier to get started with infill lots, but the pro is, is that there's already builders in these cities in these neighborhoods putting up new houses so if you can find one of these infill lots in a residential neighborhood where there's already houses being built there's houses going up and you see them uh you know you know if i get one of these things under contract for less than what it's worth i can just take it to the builder who's already building a house right down the street that's kind of one of the the easiest identifiable pros of of infill lots Mm-hmm. Yeah, you? they're
1: cookie cutter, right? Like there's there, you know what I would say. We kind of already touched on this, but oftentimes utilities are already in place. You know, sometimes there's subdivisions and neighborhoods where, um, they will be on well and septic as opposed to county sewer and water that kind of thing. But oftentimes there's already power at the street. There's already a water tap to hook into a sewer tap to hook into. Um, and that being said, again going back to the cookie cutter analogy they're really easy to comp, right? Like oftentimes you'll find a subdivision, a neighborhood where, Hey, every lot in this neighborhood is a quarter acre. They're all basically the same look and feel and size. And, uh, it makes it really easy to go back and look at the last three months, six months, uh, even one month and see where those same exact lots sold on market and thus kind of makes your due diligence process a little bit easier. Um, you know, the other thing is, uh, you know, if you're in the right area, just like Corey was saying, there's builders that are active already. You can churn sales for in- infill lots pretty quickly. Um, I know guys like Elijah Bryant and, you know, even me and, and Dan Habercost and that kind of thing will actually kind of reverse the process. We'll go talk to builders. And Corey, I know you do this as well. We'll go talk to builders in that area and Guys, there's so many ways you can find builders in whatever specific area. You could Google, um, you could even go look at some of the recent comps that sold. Go onto the county website and see which LLC or construction company bought that piece of land. Go look them up, find their phone number, that kind of thing. You try and get in touch with somebody on their acquisitions team, and you you know you you tell them, hey, I I, I find land. Um, you know, that fits your kind of script for what you want to build on. What's your buy box look like? What are you looking for? What areas specifically are you buying in and at what prices? And then you can kind of reverse engineer the process and go, okay, I have builder A, B, and C in my network. I know what exactly what they pay for lots, where they're buying and what they're looking for. And then it makes it really easy to go get in touch with the actual owners and sellers of those lots and get them at the price that you know makes sense for you, right? And you already have that end buyer lined up. So it can be a pretty easy process from that perspective. But because it's an easier process from that perspective, that also means there's more competition, right? Yeah. So like, for instance, Corey, I know the same is true for you when I'm, you know, sending out mail to infill lots, like especially in Florida, you know, listeners of this podcast know that I'm big in Florida. The competition's high. Um, You know, we're not the only people doing this. And it is not uncommon for me to hop on a phone call with a seller and for them to tell me, you know, Jack, I get probably 10 of these postcards a week. And that's no joke. That is like, Not an exaggeration. There are tons of people hitting up these sellers for these lots. And what does that mean? Well, it means there's a little bit more negotiation involved. It means that there's other people at the table. And what it ultimately means is there's a little bit slimmer margins there, right? We'll get into this when we get into more of the recreational or, you know, rural and recreational side. But as opposed to, buying for 40 to 50% on those bigger lots outside of the city. You know, your slimmer margins, like you're 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 lucky if you get like 60%, but oftentimes you'll end up between that 70 kind of 80% market value um, you know, tranche and you know, so quicker sales cycles, lower margins, and ultimately what that turns into is lower risk, right? Um, which means lower reward. So that that's what you're dealing with at the end of the day. Um, I know I kind of just went off on a tangent there, but Corey, do you, do you have anything to add to that or anything to say?
0: No, I, I think, again, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, one of the, uh, I guess I'll backtrack slightly, right? One of the pros of lots too is like you were mentioning wholesaling and assigning mm-hmm. contracts because there's already active buyers in these areas. Um, and you know, there's active buyers because there's new construction, there's new builds going up, which means those people are buying these lots to put up houses. So oftentimes you don't even have to come out of pocket with the money to close on these lots yourself to turn around and let's say list it on the MLS to get it sold. I'm going to make up these numbers, but you could find a lot in the city, you know, right down the street from a builder who's putting up another house, you contract it for 40,000 bucks. Let's just say it's worth 50. You could take it to that builder and sell it to him for 45000 Assign the contract for forty-five. He's getting a small discount on the deal. You're getting the deal moved. You're going to make a $5,000 fee in the middle without coming mm-hmm. out of pocket any money whatsoever. Turn and burn. You didn't have exactly. to close on it. They pay the closing costs. They're the ones that are buying it. You made a fee in the middle. Uh, that's one of the pros. Well, but- Exactly. The flip side of that, what you were mentioning, the cons, more competition is, I mean, like you were saying, there's in Houston, for instance, I mean, I could name a couple of the really hot land markets. Houston actually, by like every metric imaginable, is not a hot market for <laughs> land flipping. Like if you measure, like if you were actually to do the the supply and demand test that we talked about in the last episode, Houston's not a good market to flip land in. It's like staggering uh, like there's like 800 properties for sale and only 300 have sold, like it's not mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. I just do it because I know how. But the point right. I'm trying to make is like Lehigh Acres, Florida, for instance, Um, it's so far the opposite. Like there's, I'm gonna make up numbers again, but there's a hundred properties listed for sale, but there's 500 that have sold in the last three months that it's like everybody and their brother, when they get started in land flipping, Is going to these really hot markets where, you know, where there's a, you could make the argument that it's easier or harder. I think it's harder because of the competition, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's well,
1: no, I, I think you make a good point. Like, okay. When we talk about competition, there's a couple different ways to look at it. One of the ways is that it's healthy because you know, and you're, you're in a market that is selling and that people are interested in the other side of the coin is that it's unhealthy in some ways. And actually, Corey, we had a phone call like two days ago where you were telling me, let's not name names, anything like that. But there was a guy that was DMing you on Instagram, right? And he was a wholesaler and, and which by the way, there's nothing wrong with Corey and I still wholesale deals. And, um, Maybe talk about that story real quickly to give the example about how these wholesalers are kind of and even not wholesalers. Some investors too, are kind of like inflating the idea in a seller's mind about the actual value of their lot, thus making it harder for folks like you and I, who actually know, you know, the yep. values of these lots to get deal. maybe maybe tell tell that story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to make it clear what, what we're talking about, and the reason we're mentioning this is because this is certainly one of the cons that Jack and I both have experienced flipping infill lots in major cities, right? Um, the competition side of this is, um, when you're not the only person sending mail cold calling or texting these sellers on these lists to, to get their land, um, you're competing with other offers. You're competing with other people who are calling, texting, sending mail. Uh, you don't know what these ten other people have already told the seller um, the value of their property is. And you know, like Jack said, I can't. I'm not going to hate on wholesalers or, or talk disparagingly of people who only wholesale. I wholesale deals, um, but oftentimes there's a lack of education when when you're getting started, or some people just don't even really take the time to understand some of this stuff. And the problem with that is they'll get on the phone with these sellers and they'll say, hey, your property's worth this much or, or how what they'll do is they'll ask how much the sellers want. And then the seller says, well, I want $50,000 for my property. They're going ahead and they're locking up these properties at the seller's asking price. And then they're trying to go out and just sell it for more. And that's really just not how it works. I had a wholesaler uh, recently, and this happens often. So I'm not gonna name names or anything, but this does have, happen often sent me a couple deals to look at. He wanted the JV. Um, you know, I'm gonna make up the numbers too, but send me, you know, the first deal is locked up at 50,000, the second deal is locked up at like uh, 100,000.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I do my numbers, I look at them, the one that they're asking for 50, the seller wants 50,000, he locked up the property at 50,000. The same thing with the second one, the seller wants 100,000 and they apparently want a quick sale and they need a quick sale but he locked up the property at a hundred thousand. So when I look at the numbers and I comp it, I'm like, well, the one where he's asking for 50 is worth 25. I mean, that's what it's worth on the open market. If you're going to list it for sale and have some, you know, it's worth 25,000 bucks. So he's contracted it for double the market value.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. The one that's worth the one that they're asking for a hundred thousand. It's only worth like 60. Yep. Which you and I both know if it's only worth 60, he's gotta get it for less than that. Yep. So the problem, and this is one of the cons, and I'm going to full circle, when you've got twenty-five other people talking to your same seller, sending mail, cold calling, having conversations, you're competing with these offers and whatever else these other people can offer. Oftentimes these other people are overinflating these sellers' expectations of what the market value actually is. And then it makes it hard for People who do take the time, investors to, you know, who do take the time to be educated and come up with smart offers and comps and stuff like that uh, makes it much, much harder versus going out into the rural recreational side where, you know, I've I've mailed a little bit of rural land um, and I've sent out a thousand postcards and got a hundred phone calls and had Mm -hmm. numerous people tell me, well, something must be going on because in the last six months I've gotten two postcards and it's Ah. like, (laughs) dude, you know, that's music
1: a, to your ears. At that point, <laughs> it's a big,
0: big difference because now you're not competing. You're not competing with twenty five other people. You're competing with one person, maybe two, maybe none. Yep. And that's what yep. you really want. So, hundred percent. Yeah, that kind of takes us into actually, um, I guess, pros of well, what. Actually,
1: whoa. Corey, I want to make two more points, maybe three, on the cons of infill lots, and I'm not again. A lot of my business has been infill, but I am, I'm shifting strategies a little bit here. Um, one of the other cons, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, is infill lots are a lot more dependent on the economy, both at the national scale as well as the more localized scale. And the reason being is because infill lots are only bought for one reason, and that's to build a house. Okay. If interest rates move up slightly, that kind of thing, builders stop buying as much land to build on. They're more focused on the land they already have and getting those builds finished. You know, I actually had, I'll give a very real life example of this. Uh, One of my business partners and I had a property locked up in Cape Coral, Florida. It's in Lee County. Um, Cape Coral, a lot of these infill lots are on canals. Right. They're beautiful. They're they're great. They're great pieces of land. You can you, you like single family homes out there are built all the time, beautiful houses, that kind of thing. We were actually on assignment uh doing a wholesale for this one. So uh we got it locked up originally at fifty-seven thousand dollars, thinking that we'd be able to wholesale it right around 70, 75 grand. Good deal, right? Not not the biggest margin ever, but good deal, and we're not putting any money up within 2 weeks of us locking up that contract we had a couple hits and we were getting close to a couple potential buyers but within 2 weeks the city of cape coral uh changed some of their laws around uh seawalls and they actually mandated that any new builds that were going to take place on any of these lots on the canals had to have a seawall put in place which and if you don't know what a seawall is it's basically a, a big chunk of concrete that goes a little bit above ground level to ensure that there's no flooding if the ocean level on some of those canals rises, right? Problem here is seawalls cost about $50,000 out there, right? So all of a sudden, that market was swept out from under us. The The three major builders that were out there that were buying up like crazy and that we were probably ultimately going to sell to, they basically stopped buying, like stopped dead in their tracks and just started focusing on all of the lots that they already had in hand and it completely killed that deal um I shouldn't say that because we actually renegotiated I got the price down lower and I think we're still going to be able to sell it and come out with like a little bit of profit but that's just a straight up example right there and there's so many variables like that that can affect infill lots um and again there it's just highly dependent on the economy and any small change can really disrupt builders intentions and and where they're putting their cash. Right. So that's a big con. Um, the other one that I wanted to put in is man infill lots. Like I look back at my last year, which again, like I'd say probably 60 to 70% of my business was infill lots last year. Dude, I put in a lot of time and effort and energy to make that six figures we were talking about, right? Like 40, 50, sometimes 60-hour weeks, okay? And again, that comes down to the fact that the margins are smaller. You got to do way more volume to get those kind of numbers. And it's a a real grind. All the competition, everything else we mentioned over here – it takes a lot more effort and energy to go make six figures or you know whatever your goal might be in this space via infill lots than it does with recreational rural vacant land, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's something you know to 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 make very clear. And again, that's not to hate on infill lots. I'm still going to be doing infill lots. There's still opportunity there. You know, with the wholesaling side of the house, there is less risk. But again. Less reward, so I think um, that's a good transition into more of this rural acreage that we want to discuss, uh, Corey. Unless you have anything else to add in terms of the pros cons of infill lots.
0: Well, that lot—I la- mean, you hit it. But that last con for for infill lots too. I think with the grind, because I've said this before. I said, I, I feel like I'm scratching and clawing for every single deal that I do and flip in Houston. Mm -hmm. You know, for several reasons, but competition being one of them too. uh, You're like you said, the only reason that someone is going to buy a lot in the city is because they're going to build on it. They want to build a house on it. Um, So when you have and this goes for houses too, like wholesaling houses, it's no different. The less amount of buyers you have, typically the less money you make when you can only sell your lot to a, a traditional builder developer Hey, they're investors, and I've said this before, and I'm not ashamed yep. to say I don't like selling most of my deals to investors and builders anyway because they want discounts, yep. just like we want discounts, and usually they want discounts that are so hefty that it doesn't make any sense to sell to them anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so that leads into the, the slim margins. Um, yep. So that that was the last thing I wanted to mention with, with the cons of of infill lots is a limited buyers pool. You can only sell to builders or at least people who think that they have the intent of building, which right really like they're
1: into... I was gonna say there you know, there's families and couples that'll go buy these lots because they're gonna hire a contractor and an engineer to go build their dream home, right? Like it's yeah. not always just builders, but you made the perfect point, Corey. The buyer pool is limited for this type of lot because what you can do on it is limited, right? yeah, so go ahead. I think we're gonna jump into uh
0: rural acres
1: and the pros and cons of that
0: well that's kind of takes us right into and it might be the second or third point in our list but it kind of segues off of what we were talking about one of the big pros of rural uh recreational unrestricted land is a much larger buyer's pool because now you're opening up your you know your deal or your piece of land to to the world essentially anyone Mm -hmm who wants to own a piece of land for any one of a million reasons is now your potential buyer. Yeah. Uh, Cause like we mentioned before, um, you know, it's not with, with the rural land, you don't have to buy it just to build a house on it. You You want to put cows mm-hmm. on it. You want to go shoot your guns. You want to have a place to put a shed and go mm-hmm. fishing on the weekends. You want to hunt. There's a million reasons. And I've said this before on like some of my consult calls, Uh, I was doing these consult calls there for a little bit. And one of the big questions people were always asking me is, well, I don't understand land. Who's buying vacant, empty land? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. And and, and, in my experience with selling a lot of my land deals, um, even all the people who had this idea that they were going to build, there's like this psychology, I think, and this is just my own opinion, but there's this psychology behind, ownership like property ownership and Mm
2: -hmm. what it
0: means to like be a part of the american dream i think part of the american dream is property ownership um Mm -hmm. but that's kind of what it is man like everybody i think deep down or at least a lot of people have in the back of their mind somewhere they want to own property oh yeah even if it's just land it's an acre two acres whatever because man it feels good to own i own property now you know before three years ago i never owned property i uh right I mean, right. now I own, I own eight properties like in my name. And it's like, dude, I own property. That's kind of cool. I could go out there this weekend right. and, and set up a tent, you know, if I wanted to. Exactly. Um, and there's, well, and even
1: with like, what's going on with the world right now, man, like, I don't mean to, you know, uh, like doomsday or anything like that. I don't view the world like that, but there's a lot of people who just want to have property in case. Crap goes to crap and they want to get out of town for a bit or whatever. They just have another place to go, you know, yeah. or like you said, they want to go camping, take their trailer up there. A lot of people even buy that type of land just for like a tax write off or even just for an investment themselves. Right. They want to buy it because they think in 10 years it'll probably be worth way more,
2: 100%. Um,
1: which it will, by the way, there's yeah, only, uh, the there's only so much land out there. Right. Yeah. Um, But Corey, it's a great point. the The buyer pool is much larger, and that's a direct result of the fact that there's way more opportunity um, and less restrictions on what you can do with the land, right? Yep. Um, and I, I think ask. that. Oh, go ahead. Were you going to say my, something? My bad.
0: My bad. You just triggered a thought. I was going to say these are retail buyers, also. Yep. You got to remember mm-hmm. that these people are just like uh first time home buyers. They are buying emotionally
2: mm-hmm.
0: what they're willing to pay for this two acre track in the woods that has a Creek running through it because they want to go camping with their kids. What they're willing to pay is based on their desire for the property. It's not based on anything else. It's not based mm-hmm. on cost, based on ooh, it's worth this much to me. And I'm willing to pay retail because, I think I can do these things with my kids or whatever. So they're not exactly. asking. For, they're not asking for a seventy percent of market value property. They're paying full market value, even above, mm-hmm. because they're buying emotionally.
1: Exactly, and that's a perfect segue into the next pro of rural, big acreage, and that's bigger margins, as opposed to these infill lots like we were talking about earlier, which again. There's a nice hustle, and you can make good money in them. But we're usually buying this rural land for forty to fifty percent of the market value, right? A month less. yeah, exactly. And then you're turning it over to just like you said, a retail buyer who's going to pay that ninety five to one hundred percent market value right at that point. And so you're you know you're putting in the same amount of effort and energy into a rural piece of land that you're buying for 50 grand and selling for a hundred as you are into an infill lot where you're buying for 25 and selling for, you know, maybe 35, 32, somewhere in there on a good day. Right. Um, and, That's not to say that you can't still get good margins with infill lots. You know, I I've still taken down good margins and and made, you know, close to a hundred percent on some occasions on those, but it's a little bit, it's farther and fewer between that's, that's for sure. So bigger margins on rural recreational unrestricted acreage.
0: Yeah. I mean, and from a math perspective, Jack, you're probably better at this than me, but it's really simple. I mean, if you're looking at a a 100 acre track right and i personally have not done any very large acreage deals but it's simple numbers right if you can get um, a 100 acre track at a thousand dollars per acre
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then you turn around and sell it for 1500 per acre mm-hmm. or 2000 per acre i mean you see what i'm saying like the the economy of scale is so much bigger because there's way the, the price variance i mean you're going to exactly. double your money you know on a deal like that um whereas like Jack mentioned, I've made big spreads on infill lots and it, it's just our opinions, so to say, some of the stuff that the margins are slimmer because plenty of people get big margins on infill lots. Um, mm-hmm. But I, like Jack said, I will say it is harder. It is harder, especially it is. In, hot, in hot markets. So,
1: You know, a second ago I said, you know, you're putting in the same effort and energy. I actually almost take that back. Like when we talk about the competition and all of that, man, I think back to some of my infill lot deals versus some of the larger acreage I've done. And I'm like, I actually probably spent way more time on some of the infill lots because there's way more conversation. Again, you're dealing with way more competition, yeah. that kind of thing. So, you know, I, I think that is another good segue into the next point, which is your ROI on not just your money, your, your actual investment and the percentage return you're getting but on your time and effort and energy I think is a lot bigger and better in rural acreage right like you can send out like I've noticed um you know when we talk about sending mail there's really there's a couple of different ways that you could do it but two of the main ways that you'll hear people talk about in this space are neutral letters versus blind offers a neutral letter is saying hey I'm interested in your land. Um, you know, if you're willing to consider selling, give me a call. Let's talk, and we'll figure out a price, right? So you're not actually putting a price on that postcard or on that on that letter. Whereas a blind offer, you're actually running a big spreadsheet. You're pulling leads. You're getting an idea of you know the average price per acre in whatever area you're sending, and you're doing some calculations for your your mail. And each of those postcards or each of those letters you send out will actually come attached with it, your offer. And what that ends up doing is on the front end, cutting out people that you're not going to end up doing a deal with anyways, because with neutral letters, sure, you'll get more people to call you back, right? But a lot of those deals fall through because you just don't agree on price, whereas blind offers they already know what kind of price you're going to be offering them and they're calling you back because they're interested in that price. Right. And my argument would be blind offers. And I've seen this in my own company, blind offers work a lot better with that rural recreational larger acreage. Would you agree, Corey?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And all the big, you know, OG land clippers in this space, like, uh, you know, the, the folks over at land Academy, Jack and Jill, um, who is that other there's another really big big time land flipper anyways all the mm-hmm. real og land flippers swear by blind offers i mean it's like death by blind offer mm-hmm. i have talked to some people some of these bigger flippers and tell them that i do neutral postcards for instance and they're like man postcards neutral letters are like all we have ever done is blind offers yeah Um, in the land space apparently blind offers is where it's at for, for a large or just recreational rural land. Um, I'm not going to get into my opinions on why I don't think blind offers work in a hot residential uh, Mm -hmm. market, but uh, yeah, blind offers in and of itself is a whole episode on pricing, the software needed to do all that. So we're not going to get into that, but certainly um, you kind of hit on, on why, or, or excuse me, the differences between a neutral letter and a blind offer and yeah and and, and, oh sorry the the point i wanted to make with it was
1: that kind of a style of reaching out to sellers again it minimizes the amount of callbacks and stuff you're gonna get but it maximizes the um performance of those like the the how should I say this? It maximizes your ability to get a deal from the person that actually calls you back. Because again, the expectation is already set and they're calling you because that expectation kind of works for them. So what that ends up translating into is more minimal operations. You're not spending as much time on the phone. The people that are reaching out to you are more qualified because that expectation is already there. And thus you're spending less time, less effort, and less energy to churn a deal. Right. And I think that, uh, kind of plays into the next point, which is scalability. I think that rural recreational, uh, unrestricted big acreage is much more scalable. Why is that? Think about how much you can get from each deal, right? Like let's be real with some numbers here. A lot of the infill lots that you and I are doing, we're buying for, let's just say less than 50 grand, oftentimes even less than 25. And we're churning that over for, you know, let's say a 30, 40, maybe on a really good day of 50% profit margin, right? Yeah. Whereas with this rural recreational, you can get up, you know, a lot of your buyers are going to be North of 50, sometimes even six figures, but you're churning, a 70, 80, 90, 100% plus margin. And when you go put out 50 grand and sell that lot for 110K and after closing costs and everything else, you make 50 grand. Dude, you just doubled your money and how much more powerful is that steam engine behind your operations now? You got more capital to put it into mailers. You got more resources to buy whatever tools and software you need to, you know, kind of scale up your, your, your systems and processes, it can kind of take off from there. And then again, you couple that with the fact that we like the point we just made a second ago, which is I'm putting in less time, effort and energy into those bigger deals too. And all of that math adds up to a more scalable operation, not only in terms of your money and the actual income you're making, but again, your time, your effort. I want to be able to go hang out with my family, man. Yeah, And I think this is the way to to do it. So anyway, I digress. I, I've I've been on a pedestal for a bit. What what do you think, Corey?
0: No, hundred percent. I want to, I guess, simplify for the the real, real like the newbies out there, right? Where even they're gonna to listen to some of this and go, Jack's talking about making fifty grand, like it's nothing on a deal. Like I want to say this, and it's the truth. Jack, you'll probably agree with me. The, mm-hmm. all, out of all the deals I've done, um, the biggest deals honestly are always the easiest. Oh, such always, a good point. They're they're always the easiest, and there's a, there's five different reasons. I'm not going to delve into every single one of them, but the the what I want to instill into you as a brand new aspiring land flipper or wholesaler is it truly does not take any more effort to go after bigger deals. Mm-hmm. Um than it does the smaller one. and more often than not, again, the bigger profit deals are easier than these smaller ones. It's just the way it works out. Um, we could do a whole episode on all the reasons why bigger deals are easier than than smaller deals, but um mm-hmm. you know, don't if I were you as a brand new flipper aspiring wholesaler, I would say jump right into um rural recreational acreage. And again, it doesn't have to be a hundred acres. I mean, there's plenty of areas where five acres will sell for a hundred grand when the Mm -hmm. numbers are bigger. Like when the values are higher, it's easier for you to make bigger spreads is the easier way of putting it. I think it is.
1: And to that point, Corey, like when you say easier, like what comes to my mind is like the transaction who you're actually dealing with on the other side of the phone, who's selling you the land and where's their kind of competency level. And then the buyers as well. Like, I totally agree with you. I look back at all my deals and I'm like, dude, all the bigger deals I've done, the transactions, everything goes so much more smoothly. Yeah. Like I say this jokingly, but also seriously. I've spent like two hours on the phone with a seller before for a lot that I bought for like 10 grand and sold for maybe 17 or something like that, just to get them to figure out how to use DocuSign,
0: dude. Yeah, I'll uh I'll one up you on that one. I don't mean to cut you. But there's <laughs> the opposite side. There's the sell side where you have now bought the property and you're going to flip it. Mm-hmm. I have, dude, selling a a $5,000 lot more often than not oh. is 10 times harder than selling a lot for a hundred thousand dollars. And the reason from what I've known, just in my own experience, the types of people, the types of buyers, I should say, who only have in the ballpark of $5,000 to buy on a little, what I call shit lots, mm-hmm. <laughs> the psychology and their mindset about spending their money and making a decision is so much different than a person who's got a hundred or a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to buy a lot or some big recreational track. Like the psychology between a, a person who's got a hundred grand versus a person who's got three, way different.
1: It's so much that dude, that's such a good point. It's the one hundred thousand
0: dollar, yeah. The one hundred thousand dollar buyer will make decisions like this. Boom. I mean, that's Done. it. The three thousand to five thousand dollar buyer, man, they're tire kickers. They have a million oh. questions. They've got a million concerns. I mm-hmm. mean, you've got to do all the due diligence for them, and then they never make a decision. It's, guys, yeah, it's not any harder to do bigger deals. It's matter of fact, it's easier. I, I'm not going to beat a dead horse.
1: Oh, totally. You know, a point I want to make there, there though, is a lot of people listening right now are probably like, okay, Jack, Corey. Easy for you to say you go buy a lot for $50,000 and sell for $100,000. Dude, I don't have $50,000. What, what are you even talking about? It's easier to go do a deal like this. Like That's BS. Let me flip the script on you. There are so many ways to get that $50,000 outside of your own bank account. You could hit up Corey and I, and if it's a good deal, we'll fund it. There are so many other land investors in this space that will fund deals for you at very appropriate rates, right? Like there, I, I know several folks that we could put you in touch with that will fund your deal 100%. You have no cash out and they just want 40, 50% of the profits. Sometimes they'll even do it on a scale where if you sell it within 90 days, they'll take 25% of the profits yep. as like an example, the other thing is like and we this is a whole other episode too how to get funding. Dude, you can open up an LLC with like in 10 minutes filing with the Secretary of State with whatever state you're in. You could go to KeyBank a week later yeah. with your corporate documents. You remember me telling you about this? Yeah. You could get a $30,000 line of credit and a $20,000 0% interest credit card without even getting a credit check. They'll do a soft inquiry on your credit report and they'll give that to you so long as you have a decent, you know, score of like let's just say 685, 700 or better, right? And then you can easily pull that money out and go fund your first deal. Yeah. That's the same as getting, you know, somebody to lend on it for you. You just have a percent and at that point you're paying arbitrage between interest. Yeah. It's do not yeah. limit your ability to go get deals like this just because your bank account might not be reading $50,000. Right. Yeah. Like I want to drive that point home. You can go do this. If it's a good deal, you'll find somebody to give you the money for it.
0: Yeah. That's the truth. And it's the same way with how you hear it all the time in the house space, house flipping with private money, hard money, all that. But with land, it's no different. If, and it, it, jack you just said it like if you guys have a deal bring it to me and jack if it is truly a good deal like if Mm -hmm. there is money to be made i'll fund it i will put up the money depending on the purchase price obviously the potential time it's going to take to sell there's obviously some factors but the point jack is trying to make and the point i want to drive home also is it's easy for you sitting there like you said to go well i don't have 50 grand look Mm -hmm. getting the money to buy these lots to flip them should be the last thing you're worrying about because if you come across a deal for 20 grand and it's worth 70 there's a million people out there that'll buy that for you.
1: Oh yeah. A 100%. Yeah. Yep.
2: You All can tell me
0: that right now and I would fund it right now.
2: Yeah. So, you know, Agreed.
0: seriously, and you and you wouldn't even have anything to complain about, you know, even if you have to split the profit using those numbers and you're only getting 50%, I mean the difference between 20,000 and 70,000 we're talking $50,000. You would make $25,000 on a deal that you put no money into yourself. Mm-hmm. Those people deal funders, they're everywhere. Don't want to beat a dead horse. Mm-hmm. Deal funding should not be the reason that you don't go after these lots. If you come across a good deal, there's a million of them. The money's out there.
1: And there's a will, there's a way brother. And, oh. um, I think that leads into our next point. We've, we've really played out all of the positives and the pros of rural land, but like, let's be real. Let's talk about some of the cons, right? Yeah. I think just like we were talking about bigger rural acreage is more intimidating. I think that's a good word to use there. People might right. go, oh man, how do I just, I'm just going to jump right into that. Like, how, is that actually realistic? Yes, it is. But yes, it also is more intimidating for somebody in your seat right now. Um, So that's a con. Like it's hard to get over that. But again, Corey and I preach on this all the time. That's a mindset thing, dude. That is not a resource thing. That's not a money thing. That's not a time, effort and energy thing. That's a mindset thing. So If you're going to come to the plate and get going on this, that's the first place you need to start is you got to switch up and believe in yourself, have faith that God's going to provide for you. If you put in the effort and energy, everything else will fall into line. So don't let the intimidation of these bigger deals scare you off from getting started there. Uh, Like Corey said a second ago, they can actually be some of the easiest deals you'll ever do. Right? So don't let intimidation... Scare you off. You got to get over that hump in your own mind that starts there. And I uh, want to one you wanna... thing.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, go ahead. One thing about the intimidation factor saying, oh, it's a little more intimidating. I mean, I'm actually the one that wrote that. But the truth is, when you're brand new, whether you have to learn about infill lots or you have to learn how to flip uh, rural vacant land, it's all new and it's all intimidating.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: None of it makes any sense, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I started with infill lots, so that's just what I learned. And I can tell you that almost four years ago when I started, even with infill lots, it was all intimidating. I didn't know how to talk about any of it. I didn't know how to have conversations about land. I didn't understand utilities and easements and flood zones and all this other stuff. So whether you start with infill or you start with recreational land, rural land, it's all intimidating when you first get started. You got to yep. get over, you know, you got to get over the learning curve, obviously. So I don't want to say that um, rural vacant land is more intimidating than infill lots. It's all intimidating when you're brand new. So mm-hmm. you'd pick one and do it. You know what I mean?
1: Agreed. And again, that's not to say you can't start with infill lots. You can't start like either one is fine. I think as long as you just make the decision to get your journey going, you go for it. And guys... To be very clear, like Corey and I, for a direct example, we do both. You don't have to do one or the other. You can do both. You know, I look at infill as kind of bread and butter, smaller margins, lower risk, less reward all day. Cool. The rural lots, a little bigger risk, a little more reward. Great. I can have a little bit of both. There's some guys that focus on one, some that focus on the other you don't have to play this like a cookie cutter at the end of the day, like do what works for you and you know, where your risk levels at and just get started. That's the important thing here. Yep. Um, that's so gonna, Corey,
0: I think, uh, Oh, go ahead. Nope. You're good. I was just going to say that kind of takes us into our next uh, con, which yep. is longer sales cycle. And really what that means is we'll just simplify and say longer days on market, but even that's mm-hmm. potentially, that's not always the case. True. A smoking deal is a smoking deal. And if you get something, if you get a a recreational or a rural vacant 10-acre track, or 50-acre track for 40% of its value, you could sell that thing at 70% of its value, essentially wholesaling it to Mm -hmm. the end buyer who is still a retail buyer. But if you want to churn and burn, like if you want to be in and out, dude... The sales, longer sales cycle, like, yes, it's a con sometimes, but it's not always the case. So we, we put that on there as a con, but sometimes that can be the case that, you know, Hey, if you buy this 50 acre track, it might sit on the market for quite some time. But even that honestly boils down to picking a good area. If you pick an area where the days on market is low, or it's a, a relatively good area, as far as like supply and demand goes. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because you have a 50 acre track, it's going to sit on the market for longer. We've just seen that there is trends sometimes. It takes a little bit longer to sell some of these more rural uh, recreational tracks than, so uh, to say, one of these infill lots in a hot area. So,
1: right. That's a good point. And, you know, something to add on top of that is, and uh, you guys have heard me talk about Dan Habercross before, my mentor when I really first started in this space. He always drove home the point to me that, listen, man, price sells. If you're priced right, your land will sell. Yep. If you need to adjust a little bit, bring it down to the right price, it'll sell. So you can always get rid of these things, right? Like, again, I, I talked about this on the last episode and Corey, I know you agree wholeheartedly. You make your money. On the front end, the price that you lock the deal up at on your buy is where you make your money. That's the most important part of all of this. If it's a good deal, it's a good deal. It will play out for you, whether it takes 30 days to sell or 120 days, right? That's where you make your money. Um, So yes, can rural land have longer sales cycles because it's, you know, they're more unique properties uh, bigger acreage, bigger prices. Sure. But at the end of the day, it all plays out. You know, when you talk about margins, when you talk about your time and effort and energy and that kind of thing. So again, not to beat a dead horse, but I think that's a good segue into the last kind of con Corey that you and I wrote down here about rural, which is especially when we're doing this remotely, right? Like we're using GIS systems. We're using like Google Earth. We're calling the county and asking, you know, whether or not lots are buildable and, you know, flood zones and wetlands and topography and everything else. Um, With bigger tracks, especially when you start getting up to like 10 plus acres, it can be like there can be some more unknowns and variables, right? Like it's really easy to look at a quarter acre lot where you got Google street view and you can literally, you know, hop on Google maps and see the lot in person from a camera, yeah. you know, a picture that was taken six months ago from one of the Google street cars. Whereas like a lot of this rural land, it's on a dirt road, you know, it's 10, 15 acres. You can't see every single piece of dirt and tree on that property. You might not know that there might be a little bit of trash on it or something from one of the neighbors that just dumped some crap on it. There's variables like that that might be a little bit harder to, to find and some more unknowns, let's say. But guys, like it's 2024. We've got access to the internet. There's basically every tool available to you where you can do enough due diligence to feel very confident about what you're buying and eventually going to resell that I think even though technically it could be considered a con, it's really a moot point at the end of the day. Like if, if you know what you're doing, you can make all of this work. Um, So I think that was a point I just wanted to drive home as well. Corey, what do you think?
0: No, absolutely. I think honestly, it's, it's kind of the perfect segue to wrap things up. Uh, we we're talking about like, I mean, like I mentioned before, it's all intimidating when it's brand new. I mean the whole, oh, there's more variables like topography, perk tests and is it mm-hmm. going to require septic versus is there actual, you know, utilities nearby? There's all these factors, right. And it's all, it all seems scary and intimidating, but it's literally no different when you're brand new uh trying to learn info lots. And to the point you were saying about like, Hey, it's 2024, whatever, like there's tools There's where there's a will, there's a way you can learn this stuff. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: was on a, a mentorship, like a Tuesday mentorship call uh recently with Brent Daniels and like some of the, the TTP, like Rhino tribe group. And, uh, Brent had made this uh, statement and I'll put it out there: is like, people have it, have it backwards, right? They say, or they think um, education plus action equals results. Mm. And it's not. Brent flips that and he says, action plus results equals your education. Mm. And I was Love like, it. dude, that's a bar because the problem is, is you'll get, you'll read, you'll study, you'll take a course, you'll do all these things um and you'll never take any action and none of it will ever make any sense to you yep. but if you just hop right in if you just take action first action plus the results results doesn't have to be good results keep that in yeah results yep. can be bad uh a lesson learned lost money uh deals falling out of contract you name it right you take action you get a result you get your education from those results so the key here 100%. really whether you whether you start with infill or recreational rural doesn't matter, is to just get started.
1: A hundred percent, Corey. Listen, end of the day, guys, there are I should have Googled this before or something like that. I'll we'll have to share a number on the next episode or so, or or something. I mean, even people listening, if if you're listening right now, go Google how many pieces of vacant land are available in the United States. Right? Vacant land being land that is totally unused. There's no development on top of it. Nothing like that. There's millions. There's no shortage of this stuff, whether on you're on the rural side or whether you're on the recreational or sorry, the infill lot side. There's no shortage of this. So whether you want to start with one or the other or even, you know, kind of a wide net at both, just get started. That's it. That's the point we're driving home here. And you have all of the resources in the world to go make it happen. So do
0: it, do yeah. it. Let's let's leave it at that, man. I got nothing else. I think we'll wrap it up with that. And guys, uh, like I kind of said in my Instagram videos, hey, do your marketing, answer the phone, make your calls, do your follow-up, make offers, and you'll do deals. Let's wrap it up 100%. with that. I guess that's the end of episode three. Um, stay tuned for next week's episode. Uh, Jack and I, of course, we're going to chop it up every week. New episodes coming every Friday, so oh yeah.
1: Stay tuned. And Corey, one thing I'll actually add just to end the episode here. We got to shamelessly plug ourselves, man. If you guys want more content, want to see this grow, follow us. Like our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, whatever it is. Show us a little bit of love if you're getting some value out of this. We want to grow this thing. We want to help other people do what we're doing and provide for their families in the way that we're able to provide for our families now and and have control, their schedule, their, their time, their freedom. And we can only do that if the word starts to get out and and if people start sharing this kind of stuff. So go follow Corey on Instagram at flipping some land, right? Uh, Go follow me at Jack underscore Carger. My last name is spelled K A R G E R. Go follow, uh, we just started an a, a Instagram page for the podcast. It's just at Dirt $2. Um, go like us on YouTube. Go show some love, man. Shameless plug. Let's help get the word out there and, and help as many people as we can here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I had a couple people DM me and uh, message me personally about the podcast, give us some feedback. So it's all greatly appreciated. If you guys would uh, do us a favor and leave a review, Positive, Mm -hmm. negative, doesn't matter. Just leave a review on the platforms themselves. Help boost us in the ratings, that kind of stuff. And uh, it's all really appreciated. So until next time. See you guys.